Well, I want to say good morning. Thanks for being with us here at our Sugarloaf campus, to our Mill Creek campus, to those who are joining us online, and those who are watching by television. We're thrilled to have you with us. It was one of the darkest days of my ministry, and I don't even like to think about it or talk about it even to this day, because I was facing a problem that I hadn't created. And I was looking at a mess that I didn't make. And quite frankly, I realized that uh, at the same time, as President Harry Truman famously said, the buck stops here. And even though I did not create the problem, I knew that I was going to have to solve it. And even though I didn't make the mess, I knew I was going to have to clean the mess up. And it was the kind of problem that makes you think to yourself, I have nowhere to turn and I have no one to talk to. I mean, the problem to me was that deep and that bad. And if you've ever found yourself there, you realize what it is to feel like it's the, you're, you're in the loneliest place on earth and you're the loneliest person on earth. I'll never forget leaving the church that night. And, and I drove home and I walked in the door and I, I didn't even say anything to Teresa, the kids. I walked downstairs, walked outside our basement door, got in a swing under our deck. And I just began to weep. And I mean, I, I just began to cry. And I was just wondering, how will I get out of this mess? How am I going to solve this problem? And then I remembered, there's always somewhere you can turn. And there's always somebody that you can talk to. If you're in that situation right now, you've come to the right place, and God has a word for you today. As a matter of fact, there is a song that was written just for you. We're in a series that we're calling Music to My Ears, and an unknown songwriter evidently about 3,000 years ago, was in that same kind of jam. He was at the end of a dead-end street. He didn't have anywhere to turn. He thought he was all alone. He thought he had nobody to talk to. But then he remembered, there is a God in heaven. There's a God that can climb any mountain. There's a God that can solve any problem. There's a God that can overcome any obstacle. And he wrote a song that reminds us that there's always help and hope in heaven. No matter what you're looking at, no matter what you're facing right now, don't forget this. There's always help and hope in heaven. Now, God loves music. And how do I know that? Because the largest book in the Bible is a hymn book. It is a book that is filled not just with Scripture. It is filled with songs that you and I call psalms. Because back in the day, what we're going to read right now was not originally just read. It was actually put to music. And it really shouldn't surprise us because music has been called the universal language. One thing that speaks to every culture and every color in all creation is music. It really is amazing if you think about it how a song or a part of a song, or just a little bit of a tune can just get in your mind and it can get in your ears and it can put a smile on your face and joy in your heart. And sometimes you go to sleep by it. Sometimes you wake up by it. So if you're in a situation right now and you're feeling absolutely hopeless and you're feeling completely helpless, you're at the rock bottom of the ocean of discouragement and you need the rope of encouragement to pull you up. I want to encourage you right now, get your mind off everything else. Tune in to the station that we're listening to right now and listen to this beautiful song that reminds us we can always trust God in any situation. 
You may not be able to always trust yourself in any situation. You may not always be able to trust your best friend in any situation. You may not all be, be, always be able to trust the, 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 an authority with, with a situation, but you can always trust God in any situation. And this songwriter who evidently was living where you and I either are or will be or have been, wrote this beautiful song to remind us of three things to remember when we think we've got nowhere to turn and no one to talk to. Here's the first thing we learned. I can trust the Lord to provide for my needs. I can trust the Lord to provide for my needs. Now, this strong runner begins by telling us he's done all, he's done what all of us tend to do when we're in trouble. He looked in every place but the right place. He talked to every person but the wrong person. He tried everything but the right thing. And he found every avenue, avenue that he walked down to be a dead-end street. So listen to the question that he raises in verse 1. We're in Psalm 121. Listen to this. He said, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? Now, why does he raise a question about mountains? Let me kind of give you, kind of explain this. The mountains and their high places back in Bible days had been centers for, uh, for Canaanite worship. Canaanites were pagans. Canaanites were the mortal enemies of Jews. They didn't believe in the God of the Jews. They didn't want anything to do with the God of the Jews. They had more idols and, 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 and more wooden gods and more made-up gods than you could imagine. And so the Canaanites certified their gods with the mountains. That, that's why they would worship on the mountains. They thought their God lived on the mountains. In the, in the Old Testament, they're called high places. They're mentioned 78 times. In fact, when the Jews entered the promised land, they didn't do what God told them to do. They did not destroy these high places. And here's what happened. They wound up worshiping the very same gods that these Canaanites and these pagans worship. So the psalmist says, look, instead of worshiping the mountains, why don't I worship the God who made the mountains? Now, we can bring that up to the 21st century. You know, we don't look to mountains for help anymore. We don't look at other high places, but we do look at other pagan gods. You know, I can hear the psalmist say right now in 2018, I can hear the psalmist say, why don't you worship the God called science? Or, or why do you worship the God called science? Why don't you worship the God who makes science possible? Why do you worship the God called government? Why don't you worship the God who is over all government? Why, don't, why do you worship the God called money? Why don't you worship the God who gives you the power to make money, money and owns the universe? Then the psalmist reveals where we all ought to look for help. Listen to this. He says, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He said, my help comes from the God who made the mountains, who made the stars, who put the moon and the sun in their place, who put the planets in orbits. That's where my God, uh, that's where my help comes from. And of course, he's talking about the creator of the universe. Now, it stands to reason, just, just stay, think, think with me for a, moment, for a minute. It stands to reason that any problem you face in the creation the creator can solve. Okay, you agree with that? When I think about this, 
The only problem we ever face is gonna happen here. It's not gonna happen on Mars. It's not gonna happen on Jupiter. It's not gonna happen on any other planet. It's going to happen here on this planet, on this earth. Well, God created this earth and it stands to reason that if God created the earth then any problem we face in the creation, the creator can solve. I mean, can you tell me this? Who would you rather have as your helper than the God who created you and everything that's around you? A God, listen, who is higher than the heavens. A God who is deeper than the oceans. A God who is above every army. A God who is greater than all of the generals. Now, let me just stop and ask you a question. Why do you think this songwriter refers to the God who created everything. Because the God who created everything controls everything. Don't ever forget that. The God who created everything controls everything. And therefore, the God who controls everything can help you no matter what your need might be. You know, every now and then, I think that what we need to do is elevate our mind, and we need to kind of lift up our thoughts, and we need to get our really, sometimes to be honest with you, get our mind out of the dirt, get our mind out of the gutter, not in a dirty way, but in a low way, and really get our mind where it belongs. So let me give you this God thought. If we only realized how powerful and mighty God is, we would understand that when God is the only help we have, he is the only help we need. Does that make sense? I mean, if we only realize how powerful and mighty God is, if God is almighty, not just mighty, but almighty, if God is not just powerful, but God is all-powerful, if God cannot just do some things, if God can do anything, then doesn't it stand to reason that when we're in a situation where we, and we, and we are, and we'll get there, you'll get there one day if you're not there already. If you're in a situation where you're saying, man, the only help I, I, I really have is God, the good news is that is the only help you need. I, I came across a picture the other day that just astounded me. It is a picture of lightning striking the water. Here it is. This is lightning actually striking water. The water is there right under that bridge. The lightning is striking that water. Now, I think we would all agree. What you're looking at there is raw power in its absolute purest form. Now, let me tell you something about this lightning bolt that you're seeing in this picture. That lightning was caused by the bolt heating the air molecules in its path to 30 thousand degrees Celsius. How hot is that? That is five times the temperature of the sun's surface. Got it? Five times the temperature of the sun's surface. So a bolt of lightning can heat whatever it hits five times hotter than the sun. Now that bolt looks big. It's only two inches wide. And when you see a bolt of lightning, you can only see it for about 300 millionths of a second. But there could be up to 40 strokes in that one channel of lightning. I mean, it's, it's, it, a, a bolt of lightning is not just boom, it's boom, 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 boom. It's like 40 strokes of lightning. Now, let me tell you how much power that is. One bolt of lightning, one bolt can have up to 1 billion volts of power and 1,000 kilowatts of electricity. Now, to put that in perspective, the normal house current here in America is either 110 volts or 220 volts. And the amount of power that is used by one household is about 1,000 kilowatts a month. Now, don't worry about all those statistics. Let me put this all, all together for you. 
If we could harness the power of just one lightning bolt, not two, not three, not four, if we could just harness the power of one lightning bolt, are you ready for this? We could supply power to one million homes for one month. One million homes for one month. Now, add that to the fact that there are approximately 2,000 thunderstorms happening around the world at any one time, and a typical storm has one to three lightning flashes every single minute. That's the power of the God that created this universe. So now listen to this verse in Job 36, verse 32. Listen to this. He fills, talking about God, he fills his hands with lightning. He fills his hands with lightning and commands it to strike its mark. Now, I don't know about you, that's the God I want to help me. That's the God that I want to turn to. That's the God that I want to talk to. That's the God I want to trust to provide to meet my needs. That's the God I want to turn to when I need help. That's the God I want to talk to when I need help. He is the God that we can trust every single time to provide for all of my needs. So if right now you're in the middle of a problem and you think it's unsolvable, it's unconquerable, this mountain is too high, this wall is too thick, this gulf is too broad, I am telling you, we trust a God. We can trust a God the God to provide for our needs. Now, here's the second thing the songwriter says. Not only can I trust God to provide for all my needs, I can trust the Lord to protect me in trouble. I can trust the Lord to protect me in trouble. Now, the songwriter goes on to say this in verse three. He says, he will not let your foot slip. He will not let your foot slip. In other words, here's, here's what he means. When trouble comes, not if trouble comes, it will. When trouble comes, God will not allow you to fall flat on your face. Because let's face it, let me tell you something about trouble. And this is why trouble is so much trouble. You know, trouble would not be as much trouble if you saw it coming and you were ready for it when it hit you. That's the, but here's the problem. The reason why trouble is so much trouble is because we don't expect it. As a matter of fact, it hits us when we least expect it. We're not looking for it. But here's the good news. God's never caught unaware. God's always on the lookout. God always sees what's over the horizon. And so here's what he goes on to say in verse three. He who watches over you, that is God, now listen to this, will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Now there's not a parent in the world, no matter how much you love your kids, no matter how much your kids mean to you. There's not a grandparent in the world. No matter how much you love your grandkids, there's not a parent in the world that can watch their kids 24-7 every single day. There's not a grandparent that can watch their kids all the time, every time, every place, wherever they are, 24-7. It absolutely cannot be done. You know why? Because even parents have to sleep. You know, if you think about this, your kids may be in your bedroom, but you're not watching over them because... You're asleep. And we all have heard, unfortunately and tragically, kids who have been kidnapped right out of their own bedroom. I mean, it's a gut-riching thing to say, but it happens. Because not even the best of parents can watch over their, their children 24-7. Because we have to sleep. And I want you to listen to this. God never 
does. By the way, that's great comfort to a pastor because I know what I'm preaching, at least somebody's not going to sleep, and that's God. So God never sleeps. You know, there were times in college, and if you went to college, you probably did this too. There were times in college when I used to pull what we call all-nighters, and, and I'm sure a lot of you have done that, right? Uh, when I was facing a big exam or, or a final exam, getting ready for a big test, I remember my freshman year in college, I took, uh, I took college calculus, which was very difficult. And so uh, the, uh, the, on our last day, the, uh, next, the three days before the final exam, uh, the last class before we took our final, the professor came in, she it was a lady, uh, she came in and, and she said, uh, the final exam in three days is going to be a standardized exam, which first of all, if you know what that is, that's not good. It's a standardized exam. And then she said, the test will cover everything we've studied the entire semester. We weren't expecting that. We'd had several exams going, you know, uh, uh, during the semester, and we thought it would just cover kind of the last several weeks. She said, it's going to cover every single bit of the semester. Let me tell you what I did. I got my calculus book, and I took it. I'd already taken all, but this was the last final I had to take. So I literally pulled two all-nighters in a row. Only time I've ever done this. I pulled two all-nighters in a row. I did not go to sleep for over 48 hours. I took that calculus book, and if you took calculus, you may remember they used to have A-level problems, B-level problems, and C-level problems. They got continuously harder. I went back. <laughs> it's really dumb to think about this now. You're talking about overkill. I went back, and I worked every single problem in that calculus book that we had worked every single week that entire semester. It took me 48 hours, but I absolutely did it. I want to tell you, I was absolutely exhausted when it was over. And I thought, but you know, I was kind of proud of myself. I was, man, I pulled two all-nighters. And I used to be real proud of that until I realized, you know what? God has pulled all-nighters since the beginning of time. God's never gone to bed once. God's never gone to sleep once. God's never taken a nap once. God's never closed his eyes one time. So do you understand what that means? That means God is on watch 24-7 over you. God is on watch over you 52 weeks a year, 100 years every century, 10 centuries every millennium. That's why we ought to be able to go to sleep at night no matter what we're worried about, what we're concerned about. We ought to be able to sleep because we are being watched by a God that never, ever does. There, there's a story uh, uh, back uh, in, uh, during World War II when the Germans were bombing London. You remember back in the, back in, uh, uh, back in the, world, uh, the uh, Second World War, the Germans decided they could bomb London and England into submission. So it was called, in fact, it was kind of called a blitzkrieg. And so they would bomb London all night, every night for weeks on end. London knew as soon as it got dark until it got light, the German bombers would fly over. They were dropping everything they had. Well, after one such bombing, there were citizens that would, would begin to search among the ruins. They'd be looking for the dead. They'd be looking for the wounded. They'd be looking for the injured. They'd be looking for the dying. And they'd be looking for people that were missing. And there was this sweet, godly old grandmother that, that so many, very many people knew, and they couldn't find her. They, they, they looked everywhere. They, they just could not find her. And, and so they, they went to all the shelters that, uh, that they, had, they had for the people there. They went to the underground bunkers. They went to the hospital. They, they could not find this woman everywhere. It never occurred to them to look in her apartment where her room was 
but because they, they just didn't think she would be there. Well, sure enough, that building had kind of been unscathed. The, the, no bomb had dropped on that building. And just so on a lark, they decided they would go up to her apartment. And when they walked into her apartment, there she was sound asleep in her bed. They couldn't believe it. So when they found her, they woke her up and she said, you know, she came to her senses and she said, is everybody all right? She said, they said, Mrs. Thompson, they said, how long have you been here? She said, well, I, I went to bed last night about, you know, seven o'clock and, and you woke me up. And she, they said, so you mean you slept through the bombing? And she did. She said, what bombing? I didn't hear anything. She slept through the night through the whole bombing. They said, how on earth could you even think about going to bed? How on earth could you even think about going to sleep with all that bombing on? And this is what she said. She says, well, it says in the Psalms that the one who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. So I figured there was no need for both of us to stay up all night, so I went to bed. Now, that, that's, that's the spirit that we ought to have because listen, God is doing more than just keeping his eyes open. He's not just kind of looking with a dis, you know, disinterested spirit about him. The psalmist goes on to say, the Lord watches over you. He watches over you. Now, the word there for watches over is the Hebrew word shamar. You don't need to remember that, but it's the Hebrew word shamar. It's used six times in this psalm. So that tells us something. This songwriter really could have entitled the song Watching or Watching Over because that's what the song is all about. Or, you know, you know, I got my eyes on you or something like that. And, and so the point is that the, the word for watching over, it means to keep, it means to protect, and it means to guard. Well, how does God do that? How does God watch over us? Now, listen, this gets so interesting. He says in, Psalm, in verse 5, Psalm 121, he says, the Lord is your shade at your right hand. Now, I have to be honest with you, the first time I read that years ago, I didn't have a clue what that meant. If you'd asked me, hey, what does that mean, the Lord at your shade at your right hand? I didn't know. I didn't understand it. It didn't even really make a lot of sense to me until I did my kind of my research because we're not only told that the Lord is our shade, but you notice the songwriter says, he is our shade at our right hand. Well, why not our left hand? What's so big about the right hand? Why is it important to be my shade at the right hand? Well, in ancient days, a soldier had uh, two primary weapons, right? He had a shield, a, 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 a shield, and he had a sword, right? He had a shield, and he had a sword. Now, his most valuable weapon was the shield. Why? Because that was the only defense that he had. And almost every soldier had the shield in his left hand. Well, what does that mean? When you've got the shield in your left hand, where is your most vulnerable side? Where you must open to attack? Even though you've got a sword, your most open attack from the right side. And what the psalmist is saying is, that's exactly where God is always standing in your life and my life. At the most vulnerable point, at the point where, we're, where, where we are at our weakest, where at our point where we are at our most defenseless, God says, hey, I don't just have your back. I've got your side. I'm right where I need to be. I'm gonna put my strength at your greatest point of weakness. So God is always 24-7 taking up a position so he can defend you and he can defend me and he can defend us no matter where an attack may come from. Well, that raises another question. Okay, I got the right side figured out, but why does he talk about being our shade? Well, I mean, how, how does that help me? You know, the Lord is my shade at my right hand because keep reading. 
The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. Okay, now we're going to start understanding what he means by shade, right? He refers to the sun. Why does he refer to the sun? Because the sun gives off heat. Well, we all face heat in our life. I mean, it gets hot in the kitchen of living. But what the psalmist is saying is, God will never let you get to a point in the kitchen of your life that it will get so hot that you can't stand it. God will always regulate the thermometer, the, the, the thermostat. God will make sure the temperature never gets so high you cannot handle it because he is our shade. But wait a minute. Okay, I get the sun. I mean, you can get sunburn, right? I've never heard of getting moonburn. I mean, anybody, you, you, you know, you, 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 do they sell moonscreen? I've never seen it. And I don't mind going out, you know, even in Florida when it's absolutely hot and humid, when the sun is down, no problem. You going out with, you know, if you're a guy, you can go out with a shirt all day long. You don't need moon screen because the moon's not going to burn you like the sun. So why does he mention the moon? I mean, the moon doesn't cause any harm. Well, listen to this. This will help you. I just got back from Israel not long ago, and, and our guide was, was reminding us. The Jewish people follow a lunar calendar. What that means is they don't measure days like we measure days. You know, we, we call days Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. First of all, they number their days. So they refer to day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, day six, day seven, just like you read in the first chapter of Genesis. Furthermore, we measure a day from morning until night. They measure a day from sundown to sunup. So, for example, their Sabbath, which is Saturday, begins at sundown on Friday, and it ends at sundown on Saturday. They follow a lunar calendar. So what the psalmist was referring to, he was referring to days that are represented by the sun and to months which are represented by the moon. And so the psalmist was saying every day, every month, every year, Every season, day or night, hot or cold, summer or winter, God always protects us in trouble. He is our shield. He is our shade. He is always at our biggest point of weakness, and his strength is our weakness. So, you're helpless you're hopeless. You got a problem you don't think you can solve. You got a problem and you don't know where to turn or who you can talk to. You can turn to the God who always provides for your needs. You can turn to the God that always protects you in trouble. And then the psalmist says one last thing. He says, I can trust the Lord to preserve me from evil. Now, the psalmist goes on to say this in verse 7. He says, the Lord will keep you from all harm. We'll come back to that in a moment. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and your going, both now and forevermore. Now, the word there for keep literally means to preserve. And so what the songwriter said was, he will preserve us from all harm. And the word harm there doesn't necessarily mean hurt. A better word for that would be evil. So what it really says is the Lord will keep you from all evil. 
And the word there for evil, listen, it doesn't mean evil that's done to us. It doesn't mean evil that done someone does to us. It means evil that is done by us. In other words, what the psalmist is saying is, is that God has promised that if we will trust him and we will follow him and we will obey him and we will worship him and we will love him and we will serve him, he will not only not lead us into temptation, but he will deliver us from evil. Now, that ought to sound familiar because that's exactly what Jesus told us we should pray when we pray every single day. Lord, would you deliver me from evil? Not from the evil that somebody might do to me. That's a different matter. Would you do, deliver me from the evil that might be done by me? Do not lead me into temptation, but deliver me from evil. Now, let me tell you what that means. Here's the good news. If you are a follower of Jesus, and that's, that, that's the caveat, that's the condition, that's the asterisk here. If you are a follower of Jesus, there is not a sin that can come to you that you cannot overcome. I don't care whether you, you, may, you may believe there is, you may be convinced there is, you're wrong. Because if there is a sin that you cannot overcome and Jesus lives in you, then what you're saying is that sin's greater than Jesus and no sin is greater than Jesus. There is no sin that can come, uh, uh, that, uh, that, can, that comes to you that you cannot overcome. There is not even a temptation that Satan can throw at you that can defeat you if you will simply live in the flow of God's power. Now watch this. God not only preserves us from all evil, he not only watches all of our life. Listen again now to verse eight. Now watch this, don't miss this. He said, the Lord watch, will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. Now this is pretty plain and pretty simple and it kind of means what it says. Here's what the psalmist is telling us. Every single day that you walk out your door, you go to work, go to school, you run errands, you go shopping, no matter what, every day you walk out your door and every day you walk in, God is watching over you. God is preserving you. God is protecting you. And I want you to listen. He doesn't just work the day shift. He doesn't just work the night shift. He works every shift. He never retires from his job. He never even takes a vacation. He never takes a day off. What he's saying in this verse is this God He's going to watch over you today. He's going to watch over you tomorrow. He's going to watch over you forever. No matter where you go, no matter what you do, no matter how hard life gets, he said, you know God and you serve God and you love God and you obey God, you walk with God. He will never ever, ever forsake you. He will never, ever let you get into a situation where you're on your own and you're all alone. He will always be protecting you. Listen, let me tell you something wonderful about God. Unlike some people, 
who you may, you may even think are your best friends today. Even some people that you may call family today. God will be faithful to the end of your life. God will be faithful to the end of your life. And, 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 and you know, even better, he will be faithful beyond the end of your life. You know, when you, when, you, when you feel like you're at the end of your rope, when you feel like you've come to a dead end in the journey of life, when you feel like your enemy is going to win, whether your enemy is disease or disappointment or disillusionment or discouragement, I want you to remember some things about God, okay? I want you to remember this. I want you to remember who your God is. And I'm gonna ask you that question right now. You say you know God, love God, serve God, obey God, worship God. What God are you talking about? Who, who is the God that you're thinking about right now? You remember who your God is. He is the God who made heaven and earth. And then you just remember what your God can do. And by the way, what can your God do? What do you really believe? Not just think, not hope, not wish. What do you really believe your God can do? Let me tell you. He can do anything. You just remember where your God does it. He does it everywhere. You just remember why your God does it. He does it because of the love that moved him to send his son Jesus to die for you and for your sin. And you just remember when God does it. He does it 24-7. He does it now. He does it forever. You know, I really believe this with all of my heart. I, if you're like me, you can probably give testimony. I can. There have been at least, I know, at least two occasions where I know God saved my life. I know he did. And I've, I've shared a couple of those with you before. Um, and, and I won't go into detail with it now, but I was, I mean, I almost went over, I almost went over in a, 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 literally almost a cliff on 285 many, many years ago, back when I, when I was in college. And um, I, in fact, I, I went into a 360 spin and, found, and finally wound up going the wrong way down a, a ramp. I've never been as scared in my life. And I really thought, I mean, I really thought I'd bought the farm. And, and most all of us at one time or another can look back and, and, and see maybe how God protected us. But let me tell you what I actually believe is true. I believe when we get to heaven, you're going to be blown away by how many times God took care of you, how many God, times God protected you. You're going to be blown away by how many times God met your need. You thought you met your need, but it was God that met your need. You're going to be blown away by the times that God protected you. You thought you kind of took care of yourself, but no, it was God taking care of you. You're going to be blown away by, by the times that, that you thought you were kind of holier and better than anybody else, but the only reason you didn't fall into sin was because God kept you from a certain temptation. God delivered you from a certain evil. That is the God that we know. That's the God that we love. That is the God that we serve. That is the God that we say we put our trust in. So, here's the question. You're in that situation we talked about. And I know this can sound like a raw, raw kind of a message and kind of a, you know, you know, you know win one for the gifter kind of a message. And you're sitting there and you're going, but you, you, know, you don't know. You, you just, you don't know the situation I'm in. You don't know the problem I face. You don't know how big the mountain is I'm trying to climb. You don't know how strong the door I'm trying to knock down. You don't know how wide the gulf is I'm trying to cross. No, I don't, but he does. 
And he has yet to face the mountain he can't get you over. He has yet to face the wall he can't get you through. He has yet to face the gulf he cannot get you across. It has, he has yet to do it. His record is perfect. There was a man who had a picture of Jesus in his home. And uh, it was painted in such a way that, that wherever you went in, in that home, the eyes of Jesus would follow you. It was just the, the artist painted that way. So no matter where you went in the home, this side, that side, this way, this way, the eyes of Jesus, it was like he was always, you know, just looking right at you and just his, his eyes would follow you. We had a next door neighbor and, and his next door neighbor was a very good friend. His next door neighbor was, was not a believer. He had, didn't have any use for God or the Bible or anything else. And as a matter of fact, he would poke fun at this guy. He'd kind of make fun of his Christianity and he'd, he'd kind of you know, make funny jokes and he'd kind of be a little bit sarcastic and critical at times of, of his belief in the Lord. Well, he invited this man over for a meal one day. And uh, so the man was sitting there at the table in, in full view of that picture. And, 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 and the, the, uh, the Christian noticed that when he tried to talk to his neighbor that he was very distracted and he didn't know why. He just you know, couldn't, couldn't concentrate. Well, finally, the unbeliever just got so uncomfortable. He said to this believer, he said, can I ask you a question? He said, well, sure. He said, doesn't it bother you a little bit that no matter where you go in this room, the eyes of Jesus are always on you? Does that not bother you? I, that just freaks me out. Doesn't that bother you? And the believer looked at him and smiled, and he said, no. He said, as a matter of fact, it tells me that Jesus loves me so much that no matter where I go, he can't take his eyes off of me. You know that's so true. The Jesus that died on the cross for our sins, the Jesus that came back from the dead, the Jesus that one day is going to come back and take over this entire world and everything in the universe, this Jesus loves you so much and loves me so much and loves us so much, he can't take his eyes off of us. He can't, he doesn't, and he won't. So whenever you hit that point in your life, and you will if you haven't already. Whenever you hit that point in your life where all you can say is, heaven help me, don't worry, heaven will. Let's pray together. With your heads bowed, with your eyes closed.